Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello listeners, we didn't want to leave you a full week without an episode, so we're back for episode 5 and I'm joined again by Brownie and Sam. We're going to cover the Huddersfield game, the Luton game, the Rotherham game, we'll talk about the latest transfer speculation and we'll finish off by looking ahead to Watford on Saturday as well, so enjoy. Boys, how are you both? Are you good? Yeah, good, thank you mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm content. Yeah, good mate. Good, good. I don't need to ask you... How your head is because it's not a, it's not a Sunday. <laughs> hey, I was I was perfectly uh, back from Luton after a couple of drinks. Got up early on Sunday, so well behaved. Yeah, well behaved. Yeah. At least it keeps you in the good books for the misses. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I say at the start of every episode, if you like what we do here at From the Finney, then you can support the podcast. Just head over to supporter.acast.com forward slash From the Finney. And anything that is received goes to helping keep the pod running. Um, alternatively, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review on the app. And if you're listening on the Spotify app, still don't know what this does or what it's for, but it looks good. So if you could leave us a star rating on the Spotify app, that would be grand. Uh, boys, we'll start with the Huddersfield game. Uh I was like back and forward on whether or not I should go, and then I decided the night before I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go," and then. I was in uh, I was in Mackey's car park of all places. Checked the website and the tickets had sold out, so that put paid to that one. Um, so I only ended up listening. But I think, did you both go? I did, yeah. I didn't go, so sounds oh, I thought you went, Brownie. Yeah, like, like I said, I only listened to the commentary. Um, and to be fair, if he's listening, I thought Guy Clark was absolutely class with. Uh, with Bukes as well, but it sounded like for the majority of the game that we battered him. Is that the case, Sam? Yeah, we really did. I mean, I think obviously we just had the two nil-nil draws, obviously away to Wigan and home to Hull. So I think there was a big emphasis going to Huddersfield, you know, to get some goals on the board, really, and you know, instill a bit of confidence in the fan base. And we did that. I mean, obviously, Parrot getting his first goal was, you know, really good to see. I think he's been outstanding since he's come in, and there's a real hope now he's got that that he can push on. And obviously, the other. Name probably the standout from that night was Alvaro Fernandez. Obviously, starting he looked absolutely phenomenal down that left hand side, and he's a player I think could be massive for us this coming season. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with the goals because we up till that point we hadn't scored a single goal, and I mean we've only scored one since then. But yeah, four goals on the night. Troy Parrott obviously got off the mark. Uh, Alan McCann scored twice, and Brad Potts could have quite easily had two. I think if the first one had gone in, it would have been, for only a few days, the goal of the season. But, yeah, I think almost, I think, gave, like you said, Sam, the fan base a lift heading into the game against Luton that actually, do you know what, we can sit this ball in the back of the net. Because it's one thing we failed to do against Hull at home and obviously Wigan away as well, but they were completely different games. Um, But, yeah, good to see, obviously, Troy get off the mark and, People have been calling for him. I can't to start, and he comes in and gets himself a brace. Not, not really too much to be sniffed at there, is there? No, I think they're all impressive. The ones he played. I mean, I think those. I think Cunningham and Bauer, who are obviously out of favour, didn't do didn't do themselves any favour. Sorry, with the goal we conceded, but with a really professional performance, he showed that killer instinct that we've, you know, on the whole, lacked in the. Uh, the league so far. I mean, McCann was brilliant coming in, like you say, staking his claim, and it was a real positive performance and. I think that's often been the case with North End in the past. I mean, you look back to the uh, the Bournemouth game when we had McInerney, where sometimes we can use that League Cup 
there's a bit of a lift going into the league and it gives certain players you know a chance to showcase themselves which the likes of you know Fernandez and McCann have and you know hopefully for their sake they'll get a lot of game time coming off that game I listened to um, Ryan Lowe on Five Live and I didn't actually encourage anyone to go back and listen to it it's actually really good if you haven't listened to it already um, and he he seemed there was a lot of talk about League Cup and whether it's actually worthwhile or not to actually participate in it and the fact that some managers actually they don't go out there deliberately to lose but they actually um, aren't that bothered when they do lose and some make numerous changes um, and Neil was actually quite positive about it and you actually look at it as well like Woodman um, started as well which I was a bit surprised about because usually the keeper the subkeeper gets a go and I think people would like to see what Cornell was about but the fact that he started Woodman I thought was quite interesting really to the thing that, like Sam says, I think we'll probably give it a bit of a go this season. Probably because he wants to draw Liverpool, doesn't he? He's probably determined to do all he can to do that. But, um, yeah, I think he differs to other managers in that regard where he might actually treat um, cup games with um, a little bit more respect than previous managers have and, and what other managers have as well. I think the thing on that as well, and we've seen it, haven't we, since Lowe's come in, he's, he's rebuilt that connection with the fans and I think any manager that has a good connection with the fans understands that a lot of the time, while fans at clubs like North End don't really expect to be getting to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals, you can get through the first couple of rounds and the big boys come in and you can get a plum tie away from home or you know one of the big boys coming to Deepdale. I think we were talking the other night, weren't we? We've had them all pretty much at Deepdale, but hardly any away. Um, I think for... For the the kind of person that Ryan is, I think he's he's probably quite aware that the fans would like to have something like that, and I think he's the same. I think he'd quite like to sort of test himself against those kind of opposition. Whereas, dare I say it, maybe Alex Neil was a little less bothered about it when he was at North End. I think that's the case for a lot of Championship managers, though. I think I think that Tuesday night was it something like all nine championship teams or however many played that night playing lower league teams all went out, didn't they? I mean, there was quite a few upsets. So I mean, that just showcases. I don't think championship managers are asked about it really, but obviously, I think Ryan Lowe is a young manager. He probably, you know, he wants to go to the top of his game and you know manage at the highest level he can, which obviously you can't blame him for. So I think he'll probably see it as you know a big positive for the club, a big payday away from home, whatever. And then obviously him testing himself, you know, against the biggest clubs possible with the biggest exposure possible it's going to do everyone a favour isn't it I think given the number of teams that actually went out I think yeah some managers and some teams don't take it seriously but I think a lot of them have probably treated it as another pre-season game given the fact that the season started so soon um, and some of them I know some clubs pre-seasons were disrupted and a little bit all over the place so I think probably that's played its part as well in that people haven't had as you got a little that week less to prepare, really, than what they have done in the past. Because I know near, um, Lowe got asked, or we got asked if we play it in the first week, and he, and he mentioned on Five Live that he actually asked us to put it back the week after because he wanted us to have a bit of a break after the first game. So, yeah, a little bit of a disruptive start to the season, isn't it? So, um, yeah, but, you know, we've got the win. Decent to get uh, the number of goals that we did. Fernandez got yeah. a little bit of time as well so there's a lot of positives out of it really Very, very peak North End though isn't it that you get someone like Alvaro Fernandez starts, two assists apparently he was like best player on the pitch and then goes off with an injury at half time, I've not seen him since Yeah, at Luton he was limping and he walked he was he was there and he was in the full track suit and stuff but he was, he was limping at, at half time he was playing around with the ball for a little bit and he was really struggling to kick it against the wall so I know they said it was a bit of a knock he does expect to be back for Saturday but I didn't actually expect him to be available um, last night looking at how he was I think with something like a rolled ankle a twisted ankle whatever it was you can't really take too much risk with it I know they love scanned it and all that sort of stuff but if he was to roll it again in quick succession, you know, if he goes into training after uh, Saturday against Luton and he's like, yeah, it's not too bad actually, and we play him last night and he rolls it again, then it could be even worse. And 
when you think the game's coming thick and fast at the minute anyway, you know, give him maybe 30 minutes off the bench on Saturday against Watford and then look at start, uh, yeah, Watford and then look at starting him on the Tuesday after against Hull, if he's if he's ready for it, you know, it's not like there's a shortage of games, is there? No. And also he's got his parent club, we've got his parent club to consider as well in this, you know, if you rush somebody back early, you know, United aren't going to loan us another player, are they? So you've got to be extra careful with him, really, which is understandable. Yeah, 100%. In terms of Saturday, then, I know you were both there. How how was the heat? Oh, it's horrible. To be fair, looting away, it gets a bit, it's a bit of a shithole, isn't it? But I thought the way the stand was built, we were quite um, well shaded off, I thought. But then walking around the ground to the pubs afterwards and beforehand, it, was, you know, it wasn't the nicest experience. I honestly don't know anyone play football in that. Like, it was even just sitting out having a drink. It was it was pretty unbearable. So I don't know anybody was running around in that heat. It was uh, it was unbelievable, really. Yeah, I um, yeah, I was in a three piece suit at a wedding, so <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> that wasn't particularly enjoyable either. But yeah, it got better when um, I got a notification on my phone that we were one 0 up. I mean. What a fucking goal. It, it, you know, you think some people might look at that and think it was a bit of a fluke with Potsy, but with a few times under low, he's managed to get in at that back stick. He had a very similar chance against uh, Huddersfield, obviously, on the Tuesday, and he scored a, a similar-ish one to Stoke. But I think this one was just better. I mean, the sheer athleticism. When he's met the ball with his foot, he's as high as Mary Bell is. And he's obviously competing for the ball with, you know, it's physically, he's outstanding to get up there. And it's a really, really finish by Potsy. I think, you know, it's you know, really, been really impressive. Obviously, we'll come on to Saturday and then uh, come on to yesterday and obviously on Saturday at Luton as well. He's been a really good performer the last two games. Yeah, I'd, I'd say probably against Huddersfield as well. Obviously, he got his goal. Could have had another worldie as well, but crashed off the bottom of the bar. So I think that's that's three games on the trot there that he's he's done really well. Um, and I think Lowe said after the Luton game that both him and Marshy have been sort of getting on at him to get further up the pitch and express himself a little bit more in the final third and you know like well obviously we'll come on to Luton shortly but you, you can see it in his game now uh, I don't think that that means any talk of a right wing back should be um, stopped because it's still a position we need to strengthen um, you know all of a sudden he got a chance in pre-season and got injured we've not seen him since we saw him what twice all through last season and we've we've no one else really that can play there. I think he's useful, um, you know, like in a game like Luton, you know, like an away game where you kind of um, you want to soak up a little bit of pressure, and he's a little bit of an outlet at times, in a similar way that he used to be when he used to come off the bench. And we used to kind of use him as a bit of a runner because he's got you know he's got the legs, he's got the fitness, um, and he's got the power to just run in a straight line. I mean, if you need him to, in terms of like actually taking anyone on or um, you know, using any amount of skill, he's kind of limited in that sense. But defensively, if you want somebody to just run up and down that line all day, he can do it for you. Um, which is why he's been pretty useful. And I think, I think at Luton, I think he had a great game. I think last night as well. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent. And um, like you say, Jato, we need another different type of player, don't we, to come in on that right hand side as well, which will. Give us a different option, but that's not to say that he can have his, uh, you know, he can be used um, to, you know, to his strengths occasionally. And I think, you know, he's shown in the past, hasn't he, Potsy, when, like you say, Brownie, when he's been used in that, like, running 10 position when Alex was in charge, he's even been used as a centre mid. Um, he, he's, got, he's got his uses elsewhere on the pitch, you know, he's, like we've said, he's athletically, he's... There's not much better in our side, really. He'll run for days. Like, he calls himself a big horse anyway, doesn't he? Um, so if we do bring a right wing back in, maybe someone a little bit similar to the kind of profile that Fernandez is on that left, it's not to say that Potts is going to be out of the team. He might, you know, if we've got injuries elsewhere, he might find himself playing centre mid or a little bit further up the pitch, a bit more central. Maybe even as a second striker or in that sort of running 10 position. Um you know, it's not 
right wing back comes in and Potts is just on the bench straight away. I mean, that probably will be the case. But... <laughs> I think it will. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for it. I think people try and focus a little bit too much on like, you know, having a load of good technical players. You, you know, having like good physical attributes can come into, it can be handy occasionally. It can be used in the right way. You know, look at Alan Brown, for example. He's not the most technically gifted player, but you know, he, he's useful um, when played a certain way. So I don't think there's a... Ideally, you don't want Potts as your first choice right wing back. But like I say, there's no harm in, in, in keeping him around um, if he's used properly. Yeah, you've got to remember as well, it's a... Keep coming back to it. It's obviously a 46-game season. I think pretty much already this season, by the first week, we've been playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And I think that pretty much goes on to the international break and... Go. It's a really congested fixture list this year with the World Cup obviously being in the winter. So it's really important we have you know, players who can rotate and be trusted to do a job. And it is good to have options in your squad. I mean, Alex Neal was obviously the king of it, really. But uh, Ryan Lowe mentioned it in his post-match interview at Luton that sometimes you've got to adjust your team based on the opposition you're playing. And you've got to sometimes compromise on your style that he says he wants to play. So, I mean, you know, a player like Brad Potts might suit certain games and a player like Robbie Brady on the other side might suit certain games. But then other games, yeah. Type of Alvaro is, you know, a bit better one v one. Is like to take it to the byline rather than crossing from deep, for example. So, just good to have them have them options in the team. I think, yeah, that's it. I think at Luton we we played like an old fashioned North End away game, really, where we actually dug in and got the point. We were dirty, picked up loads of like niggly yellow cards, lots of time wasting. It was just great to see. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot's been made of like a brand of football and the way we play, but. I think that element's kind of been missing and I think Lowe's and he, he touched on it in pre-season really that they've had to like learn how to play certain championship games and that was definitely one of them you know playing against Luton and he would have learned from losing and um, well getting battered last season there so yeah it was really good to see opposition fans fuming at some of our antics which you know I've not really seen that for a while so yeah, yeah we've not was, had uh, the, uh, the teams like for a few months have we but I think you know it's worth giving credit where it's due because we've been a little bit critical of Lowe and this sort of brand that he promised and there was times at last season where you're thinking like we've not seen this brand yet and it was all like we're focusing on us blah 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 and obviously that got that pleased sections of the fan base because I think it was well known that under Alex it was let's look at how we can stifle the opposition, be sort of quite pragmatic and be an off the ball team and hit teams on the break and you've then you go from that to Ryan coming in and it's like, Oh, we're gonna play this attractive brand of football, blah blah blah. And then like you say, Brownie, in pre season there's there's games where he has tried to change in shape and we have sat back a little bit more and we have played with more of a back five perhaps than we usually would have done under Ryan last season. And then you come to this game at Luton where we've been pumped 4-0 last season and you're thinking, are we going to go there and try and sort of put our stamp on the game and, and play this brand? And that, that wasn't the case at all. It was a very sort of backs-to-the-wall performance from what I've read and what I've seen and not the kind of performance that We've, like you say, Brownie, we've seen for quite a while. And I think, you know, credit to Ryan and the coaching staff and Marshy and, and Gally and whoever that they're doing that and they're not just going, no, we're three five two. this is how we're going to play, that's it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, we've had a few chances, though. Let's not, like, um, it wasn't the perfect performance, but it was just, um, it was nice to see that we've, we managed to grind it out um, and that reaction, like relief at the end with the fans and the connection with the fans, was was great, really. I think you know, like Adam mentioned there, a couple of times we're caught out. I mean, story. I think he's impressed a lot of us this year. But I thought once or twice at Luton, he got caught out, especially the one where uh, Adebayo sort of spanned him and fired over the bar. I think there was a couple of times where maybe a bit of carelessness, maybe a bit of switching off. You know, could have ended badly, but you know, thankfully Luton were a bit wasteful when they did get in and. You know, on the whole, we did perform really well. And I think Liam Lindsay as well has been outstanding. Obviously, got man of the match last night. He had everything that came towards him at Luton. So, you know, we are proving we can defend. It's just putting him in the other net that's proven a bit of a problem. 
I think that's it with Story, isn't it? If you get him isolated on 1v1, you know, he can, if you've got a particularly fast or tricky player, he gets he gets himself in a bit of a pickle, doesn't he? Um, which is, I think we saw that as well, you know, in the playoff semi-final last year with Sheffield Wednesday where he got done on that on that, that side as well. So, there was a couple of times where he got, he got spun or, you know, 1v1, he wasn't able to get there. So, Something to keep an eye on because I've seen a lot of praise for Story and fair play, yeah, he has played well. Um, but in that right side centre back, if you can get him isolated, it's a little bit of a potential issue. I think. I think that's one an opposition manager you'll be looking to exploit, isn't it? Looking at how we've set up so far, you know, we've got a really good left side, but that right side of Story and obviously the lack of pace for Lindsay, I think that's probably the the weak point as such, isn't it? If we do, you know, shoot a label. Yeah, well. Come on to Rotherham last night very shortly, but you could see, couldn't you, that they they were targeting our right hand side. Pretty much all their play came down that side, and obviously on the opposite end, a lot of our play went down their right hand side. Probably because they had Lee Peltier right centre back. Yeah, he was joining us, wasn't he? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just one one final point on Luton. I don't know if you boys noticed this when you were there, but. Looking at the timing of the substitutions and then all the other cards as well. Um, Ali McCann came off in the 69th minute. Brown and Brady came off in the 79th minute. Parrott came off in the 92nd minute. And then there was five bookings in between all of that. You know, you're looking at the last 20 minutes of the game there. And we're doing our absolute best to disrupt it with subs and bookings. And I mean, obviously, even Freddie Woodman got booked for delaying the restart, so we hate it when teams do it to us, but obviously when it works in our favour, it's it's a different story, isn't it? But yeah, you can see what the game plan was. We got a goal early on and just, just try and disrupt it and kill it off and stop them from, sorry, will hate this, building up any kind of momentum in the game. I think you've got to, haven't you, nowadays? Because like you say, teams are going to do it to you and obviously it's meant to be a 90-minute game, but if you can you know, take a bit of time and you can make it an 80-minute game, a 70-minute game, you Defending a lot less, and obviously, it you know lessens the chances and gives the team you're playing a lesser opportunity to, you know, get get any rhythm going. Really, I know I listened to Nathan Jones's interview after. I think he was really, really wound up that his team couldn't get any rhythm going. He said, and he said, obviously, the the conditions of the heat didn't help, and obviously, slowing it down probably helped our lads more than it helped there. So, I mean, it's not always the prettiest to watch, and you know, you wouldn't really want your team to play like that. You know, week in, week out, it's quite tedious at times. But when you go into a team like Luton, who, even though they've had a bad start, you expect to do well. They've got a lot of technically gifted players. You know, you've, you've got to do what you've got to do, haven't you, as the old saying goes. Yeah, he brought Reese on. And we were sat there watching. And honestly, it, it, it didn't look right. He didn't look right, I must admit. And um, there was a few things where there's one down in the corner where he didn't read it properly and didn't get it. And then tried to play a pass across field in the last few minutes when he should have just ran into the corner or played DJ in. Um, well, Lowe just went absolutely nuts at him. Um, and I, I did think at the time, I thought, hey, he's a little bit, it's a little bit strange this, the way he is. Well, I, I thought, oh, is he just upset that he didn't start the game? But after what's actually happened in the last few days, you do wonder whether there is something on Reese's mind at the minute that's impacting his game. Um, and it, yeah, it was just... A little bit funny, really, at Luton that he brought him on and you thought, oh, he could stretch the game or potentially get a second. And um, he wasn't really at the races, if we're perfectly honest. Yeah, almost like something's happened that sort of distracted him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll talk about that in part two. Um, but yeah, last night, the uh, the game against Rotherham, I mean, to, to keep it short and sweet, we should have won it, shouldn't we? Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, we did everything. I mean, we hit the the woodwork twice, like we did at Hull. We've created a lot of chances. I think the big ones were in the first half, really. I mean, despite having that, I mean, the big spell of pressure was when Reef came on in the second half. But I mean, Troy Parrott, who I've been really impressed with, obviously did really well to set Johnson up, who uh, should have done better in the first three minutes. And then you've got the uh, the Parrott chance as well, where he goes one v one, and obviously puts it straight the goalkeeper. So we are creating the chances. I think it was. Was it 21 shots yesterday, 20-odd shots? So, you know, we've got a high volume of, of chances. You've just got to, you know, be clinical when we get them, really, because teams are going to come here and sit deep against us if they're proven. It's just about us having that sort of cutting edge, really, to get the goals, because our performances deserve it. 
Yeah, I mean, we should have won, shouldn't we? Um, we had more than enough. Well, you know, the two chances in the first half, like you say, Sam, you know, they, you've got to be putting them away. Um, I do wonder whether there was any need for Ledson in the midfield, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I think we probably could have started with two up front. You know, again, you know, it, this brand that, that keeps getting spoken about, you know, attacking football and stuff, I don't really think we needed Ledson in there. Um, and I think to take him off was the right So. When Reese came on, we did we did look a little bit more dangerous, didn't we? Um, but that's it's by the by, we should have won the game um, that's tr- easily. Frustrating, isn't it? It had all the build up. We just no climax. We said there's no goal that we were almost sucking into the town and net in the second half. Well, it was that period where I was just convinced we were going to score at one point. It was like it was that much pressure. Where if you're an away fan, you just be like, oh well, this is it. It's, it's coming now, <laughs> and it just didn't, did it? So when Pops hit the bar, you thought, oh, is it not going to be our day? That was a bit for me. I don't know about you boys, but that was the first time for a while at Deepdale that I felt like we were going to score, like you could feel it coming. Um, you know, we've had it, haven't we, under Grayson when we got promoted. Um, we had it under Billy Davis. Just the, that feeling, that expectation, and, and you feel like the players feel it as well, and you're like, it's coming, it's got to come. And then, like you say, Sam... Potts hits that hits the bar and you just think maybe it's not going to be our day. Yeah, I think um, I do think though. Like I think I do need that little bit more of an option rather than just like the crosses from deep, which kind of revert to. I know Brady's. I mean Brady's quality, isn't he? You can see his touch and everything's just and his corners, set pieces are just perfect, aren't they? Um, but it would be nice to have that Fernandez option, wouldn't it? You know, just to maybe, you know, I know Hughes can overlap, but he's obviously not as good as what Fernandez can be. It'd be nice to have that option to get to the byline and, and have something different. And it'd be nice to have that on the right hand side as well, because there was a time last night when Story went to overtake, and he's not really that type of centre back to do that. So there's little things where if we had those improvements in those areas, we wouldn't have to constantly rely on. You know, putting crosses into so let's face it, Parrot and Reese, who, who you know we mentioned it before on the podcast, are not really the type of strikers to score those type of goals. So, no. whilst whilst we have had lots of possession and had lots of shots, um, you know we've not scored a lot of goals, have we? So, um, yeah, still... I think the, the crossing thing. You know, we, we had twenty nine crosses last night. Only six of them were successful. So that's like twenty percent in it. And yeah, you know, Troy's shown in general playing in the build-up that he's more than adept at bringing the ball down out of the air and all that sort of stuff. But he's not the kind of like you say, Brown. He's not the kind of player that you want in the box attacking across. He's not like he's not going to get up above a six foot two, six foot three centre back, is he? No, and I don't. I don't think the taking DJ off was right. I know DJ's got a lot of criticism, but in that second half. All right, some of the passes were a little bit astray, but th- those little balls that DJ was playing through, like, you know, sliding, trying to slide through Parrot or Reese or Potts or um, Brady, that kind of stopped and it kind of did revert to just us getting crosses in. Um, and yeah, I-, I thought I thought taking DJ off was probably not the right decision at the time. I thought him and Brownie both struggled. And I thought Brownie improved in the second half, but you're looking at the two of them and you're thinking, if you're going to take take someone off, maybe take one of them off, not both of them. And um, I think, was it Opta Analyst tweeted earlier today uh, a graphic from the game last night? And I've shared it on Twitter on the From the Finney account. And you can see in that that when we made the changes, that obviously the first one was Emil, he comes on and there's a period of pressure after he came on, he impacted the game. And then DJ and Brownie went off and the, the pressure dropped off massively um, in terms of the attacking threat. And then it picks up again a little bit. Chad came on, it dropped again. Uh, and then it picked up again before before the end of the game. And yeah, I think you, you nailed on Brownie. You know, them, them subs just, just killed like we said about what we did to loot and just killed any rhythm. Like a, like a child with a new toy, it manages. You know, they can be, because they've got the five subs now, it's like, 
you don't have to use all five. It's just, and, and you know from friendly games, you know, if you make too many subs, it kind of kills the game. You know, the, the five subs are there for a reason in terms of, you know, to keep players fresh or, or you know, to stop players burning out. Um, or, you know, if you are winning, you can bring on some of the young lads at a high level and stuff like that. I don't think to win a game, making five subs really has the desired effect. Um, I think, if anything, it can kind of stall things. So I think probably managers will, will, will learn to adapt to this, you know, going forward. I know we had it for a period, didn't we, um, during COVID times, but I think... Yeah, you can get a little bit too carried away making substitutions, can't you? I think as well, especially with us, I think that five subs rule, I said it as soon as it came out, I think it does really benefit the top teams. I mean, I don't think we've got the strength and depth otherwise where when you're making changes and you start an 11, you're going to bring players on of an equal quality. I mean, I'm not the biggest Chad Evans fan and he came on yesterday as a, a striker alteration and offered nothing, whereas other teams are going to be bringing on players of a similar rope. You know, you look at the type of players that like a Watford or did have before they've all been sold out at the roster or like a Norwich or the team's coming down. I don't think we've got in our lock and where we've got the players of the same quality to bring on. So I think you're making too many subs and you're taking off too many of your big hitters like your Browns and DJs or your, your Parrots. I think you're only going to end up bringing on players of a lesser quality, which obviously isn't necessarily a recipe for success, is it? No. Well, I'm, I'm, we don't have the strikers, do we, at the minute? So you, you, you're kind of flogging Parrot, really, to who I thought was excellent yesterday. I know I know he didn't score the, the goal, but I thought he was brilliant yesterday. You can have him to rely on him a bit too much, whereas if we have the options off the bench in terms of strikers, you can change the game a little bit more, can't you? Yeah, and I think, you know, it. it's tough for a club like us to get the sort of quality that a Norwich or a Watford would have in depth, but... I don't think there's any reason why we can't be a little bit smarter and get, well, and, and improve on the depth in the squad that we do have because there is a lack of quality in depth, you know, barring maybe two or three players. Once you've gone past them on your bench, there's not really much to get you excited on there, is there? Well, they've wanted Robinson, haven't they? And obviously, if you're bringing on someone like Callum Robinson compared to Richard Evans, that's a big depth in quality and Colin Robinson, someone who you feel like you can bring on the bench and, you know, really impact the game. I think that's the, probably not Robinson in himself, but you're looking at someone of that ilk, he's maybe got a bit of experience in the championship and is a, a direct threat, can take him on a man, that's the type of player you're going to be want to bring on the bench, not a, a big lump who's not scored from open play in like nearly two years. Yeah, a, fi- a final point then before we go to a break. Um, I know we mentioned it in the last episode, but again, I think, the change in the atmosphere at Deepdale, the way that the fans have rallied behind the side is just unbelievable. Like last night, Solly tweeted it, didn't he? He said that it was a raucous, um, did he say a sweaty? Raucous, sweaty feral. place. It was feral. feral, that was it, not yeah. sweaty. A raucous, feral place. And he was spot on. I thought, I, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, that last night reminded me of the times under Billy Davis when we play at home and, and Deepdale was rocking and you just, you didn't fear anyone, did you, coming to Deepdale back then? And, you know, hopefully this continues and the good work that the the guys at um, North End Soul and PNA Online have been doing and obviously all those that have been volunteering their time and whatnot to play the drums and wave the flags, you know, long may it continue. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I, know, I know what you mean about that Billy Davis thing. When you said it before, in terms of, you know, you used to turn up to Deep Bell and expect to win, didn't you? It was it was pretty. It was a pretty weird feeling at the time. It was like, I don't know. It must be how like Man City fans feel. I don't know. Like you just you just don't really expect to lose. And it'd be great to get that feeling back. I'm not getting carried away, but it'd be great to get that feeling back. In and if it means that Deep Bell's a bit of a fortress. Um, for away opposition, um, then yeah, let's let's keep it up. But please don't take any flags home with you, because um, I know there was some more done yesterday. Just, yeah, uh, I said it last week. Don't be a bastard. I don't think there's any excuses anymore. You could argue people wouldn't have known the first time, but enough been said yesterday. The stewards there, and 
you know, it's just not fair on everyone, and a lot of people, like I say, are putting time and effort in. We're all coming together, quite a communal spirit, wanting to get deep day allowed, wanting to get bums on seats, and we don't want that getting ruined for anyone, do we? No, definitely not. So, yeah, don't be a bastard. If you've taken a flag, bring it back. And on Saturday after the Watford game, don't leave one. Don't leave with one, sorry. And I think as well, I know I've seen a few people tweet this, if you see someone walking off with a flag, tell, like speak to him, say, what are you doing? You know, they're not they're not souvenirs. You can't take them home. Um, but, yeah, boys, I think unless you've got anything else you want to add, then we can go to a quick break, and we'll see you in part two. Cheers, mate. Grand. Welcome back to part two of the From the Finney podcast. In this part, we'll discuss the transfer speculation surrounding Emil Reese at the moment, a few other little bits and bobs, and we'll finish off by looking ahead to the Watford game as well. So enjoy. Yeah, obviously, boys, as I've mentioned there, it it feels at the moment like it's just a matter of when and not if now that Emil's going to go. Um, obviously, we've all heard the rumours and seen the various pieces that have been published. Lowe spoke about it a little bit after the game last night, but didn't really add much on top of what the club statement sort of said. But we've we've done this dance before, haven't we, as North End fans? Yeah, it, it, there's a little bit of inevitability about it, isn't there? That, um, I mentioned it on the, the pod last time, I think, saying, I, don't, I, think, I think Lowe would be pretty happy. If I'm, you know, if I'm honest, um, for me, I don't see what selling a twenty-goal um, striker to a championship rival does for a team that wants to go to, you know, to get promoted and get in the playoffs. I don't see how it benefits us. There's a bit, a little bit over the last few days about people saying, "Oh, um, you know, I, I trust these guys to reinvest it because it's different owners." Well. Trust is earned, isn't it? You know, you can't just have like blind faith that this money's going to be reinvested when, you know, albeit, you know, sadly, um, you know, Trevor is in charge then and sadly he's died since. But, you know, the, the ownership's got a, a consistent history with us selling our best players and not replacing them. So naturally, there's going to be a little bit of concern about it. And for me to sell Reese and have, you know, the, the hope there that they're going to be replaced. Well, yeah, I think it is hope, really. I don't think there's a definite... Um, I don't think it's definitely going to happen where he's going to be sufficiently replaced. So that's my concern on it, really. Yeah, I think as well on the ownership, you, you, you're going back even to like when Trevor had um, a smaller part in... Sorry... You're going back to when Trevor had a smaller part to play and a less of a say in the running of the club back in like the Baxi days and when Derek Shaw was here and even back then, you know, we would never ever go out and adequately replace players that we'd sold. So I think people can be forgiven, ourselves included, for having the fear almost, you know, that when it comes to selling our best assets, forget recent times. You know, you're going back 20 years, 15 years. We've never done it. We've never adequately replaced our best players when we've sold them. Jordan Hugo, we went and got Jaden Stockley for three quarters of a million quid. Callum Robinson, we went and got Scott Sinclair on a free. Um, Greg, we replaced with Greg three years later with three serious injuries under his belt. You know, Alex Neal brought in, I think, probably around 20 million quid in player sales to the club. I don't think we've ever received that in transfer fees in our history as a club. And that was what he was rewarded with, is the three replacements for those players. So I think you're Bob on Brown, you know, trust is earned. And at the moment, yes, this window has been better than past ones, but it's been built largely on loans and free transfers. You know, I think the fact that we've handed out 
twelve month contracts or twelve month contracts with an option. Tells you everything you need to know. You know, there's no there's no going out and signing a proven quality player and giving him a three year barring Freddie Woodman and giving him a three year contract and tying him down or a four year contract and tying him down. So yes, this this window has been better than previous ones. It had to be. You know, uh, I think if it hadn't have been off the back of 12,000 season tickets being sold, there'd have been bloody uproar. Um, so, yeah, I think people can be forgiven for being a little hesitant about how we finish this window if we do sell a meal. Or should I say when we sell a meal? I'd be surprised if we don't. Quite got in, but I think there's two ways to look at it, really. I mean, I'd be pretty disgusted if we do sell a meal and obviously... Don't bring anyone in, and there's you know there's a lot of little sort of alleyways you know to talk about. You can go. I mean, are we going to get someone of a meal's quality for the max one and a half two million quid? We're going to spend no. But then, I think my worry is the club will look at it and think Lowe probably doesn't rate a meal. They've probably had a lot of conversations with the manager behind closed doors, and there's from a solely selling perspective, there's the argument that if Lowe doesn't rate Reese and he doesn't get many games, he doesn't score many goals in the leagues of the year of his contract. The lose some of that valuation on him so there's every, every argument now he's probably worth as much as he's going to be under us if he does have a bad year so from a solid perspective the Hemmings family might well look at it and think oh you know can we cash him while he's got value but from a solid football perspective we know we're not going to break the bank to bring someone in even if we do have that money and there's no one he's going to come in and you know replace Emil's 20 goals or Emil's assets like his pace and his ability to beat a man, you know, for that type of money. So I just think we're highly hampering ourselves and improving a direct rival, like Brownie said. I think it'll speak a lot of the ambition of the club and I think it'll give, you know, the fans a lot to be angry about. I think as well, like, you know, there's this talk, hasn't there's been this talk, sorry, hasn't there, for years where all we need is that 20-goal-a-season striker. We just need to find one of them and then we'll get promoted and all right, he's not scored 20 championship goals. There was four or five in the cup as well, but at this level, we've not had someone score the amount of goals he has for the best part of a decade. Um, and to go out and find, sorry, and to go out and buy a player that guarantees you that amount of goals, you're having to spend the money that Borough is spending, and we're not going to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's a gamble in my opinion, and, Hopefully, it's one that pays off. I just think it's gone from us at the beginning of the summer, well, only a few weeks ago, signing Callum Robinson to play in the same team or the same squad with Reese. We had talk of Archer, signing Archer on loan. Apparently, we were going to match every championship offer that was available. Well, well surely that money can be spent elsewhere if that's what we were going to do. So, you know, you're looking at a potential situation where it was being spoken about where we'd have Archer, Robinson, Reese, um, and Parrott, although it's probably questionable whether Parrott replaced Archer in that situation, but the point still stands. So now, being in a position where we're potentially selling a striker for £8 million and having Troy Parrott, a lone striker, only available to us, um, Maguire, who's injured, and, and Evans and O'Neill now... And then we're then having to go out and try and replace that. It just doesn't strike to me as the ambition and the, you know, the faith that the fans put into the club at the time by getting the season tickets and turning up and everything and, and, and all the work that's been going on. To scupper that by selling Reese and not replacing him does it does concern me, if I'm if I'm honest. So look, I'll hold my hands up after and it and if he is sufficiently replaced and it turns out to be a good window, then fair enough. But I think for people to just turn around to people and say, "Oh well, you know, it's a new ownership," then it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. I, I just think it's a bit naive. On the one hand, it is a new ownership. Obviously, Trevor sadly passed away, didn't he? But on the other hand, it's not. It's the same family. Um, you know, Peter's still in the role that he's in. We've still got. Well, no, we've got a new recruitment people, haven't we? We've got market insights now, but. Large, largely the same people at the club are still doing the same jobs. There's just one person not there. And, you know, I said it five minutes ago, I think people can be forgiven for having reservations about how the last two weeks of this window are going to go. And like you've just said, Brownie, you know, if we're sat here on 
deadline day or the day after deadline day doing our episode and we're looking at the squad and going, fucking hell, do you know what? We sold a meal, got eight, eight million quid, 10 million quid, whatever it is. Fucking hell, we might have even got more. Might be 12 million quid. You never know. We've got X amount in the bank. We've gone out and spent four million quid of that and brought in two quality players. Because let's not, you know, forget, if he goes, we go from needing one striker to two. So if we're sat here in two weeks' time and we're saying, yeah, the squad's stronger, we've lost a meal, but our attacking department's stronger, uh, we've gone out and spent a bit of the money, you know, half of it maybe, and brought in two quality players, then fair enough, you know, we'll praise where it's due, but I, I can't see it happening. No, I mean, it'd be a remarkable turnaround for, for the new people to do that. I mean, look, there are there are things that have changed. That's, you know, a lot of the work, the good work off the field and the transfer strategy this summer so far, it, it is a lot different. But this is a family that's, that's losing a lot of money, putting in money into this football club. So, you know, it's, to think that all of that money, which some people have heard say is that any money raised from transfers will all be put back into the club. Well, you know, that's all right if it's a million here and there. But if you're looking at like 11, 12, 15 million, whatever you may, may, may not get for Reese, is all that going to go back in? I, I just, I just can't see it. Um, I mean, what, what are the Hemmings family putting in a year? Is it? It's roughly seven to ten million quid a year, isn't it? It's about seven hundred and fifty grand a month, isn't it? I think I heard once. I think it's been fudged somewhat because of COVID, but um, yeah. let's let's say seven seven to ten million quid a year. We sell a meal and we get ten million quid. Are they really going to make a massive amount of that money available to spend on improving the playing squad when they can look at that? And they've done this in the past, and say, so, "Well, that's this twelve months or this season, whatever it may be. This season's worth of running costs covered. We don't have to pay a penny out now. Well, however the finances were, they might end up paying it, but they've got it coming back in in some form or another. Um, you know, and we're led to believe, aren't we, that, or the talk is that we are still looking for new ownership and." that the Hemmings family want to move the club on at some point to the right person. If they can have a, a season where they've not put any money in or they've recouped the money that they put back in, then that's better for them. Yeah, and that's not... This isn't... A, I'm not criticising them. They can do what they want with their money. It's just when you actually look at the football side of things, it is going to impact it. I, I, I don't see how it's not. You know, you, you I, I, just, I don't know. I just don't see how it's not going to impact it. Like Sam says before, you know, you're going to have to replace somebody. How much are we going to spend? We're not going to go out and spend five, six, eight million on a player, are we? So it's bound to impact it. I think the problem is as well that I think it's never helpful. I think this is why clubs often use undisclosed fees that it's been quite talked about the type of money that Middlesbrough are going to give. You know, you've seen quote, if you want eight figures, you've seen quoted, you know, we're looking for nearer eight million. But either way, clubs know that we've received the quite heavily substantial fee. So, you know, you know, West Brom could quite easily up the Robinson uh, valuation knowing that we've got money like we said off air. I think, you know, if you're looking at loaning players in, they'll probably want a high loan fee. They're probably going to know you're going to want money to go towards wages. So that's never an ideal situation. Clubs knowing that you've got potentially quite a large sum of cash on you as well and that's obviously going to scupper the quality of the deals that you could be able to bring forward, I think. I've seen as well a few people saying that they feel like Lowe's the kind of manager that if he doesn't get any money to spend from a big sale like that, that he'd just walk away. I don't I don't think he would. And I don't think he's done. I, I'm sorry. sorry. I also don't think any manager would. You know, if, if you're a manager and you're tied into a £100,000 a year contract for three years, why would you walk away? Just because you've not got a few million quid to spend. You'd make the best of what you've got available to you. Um so, whilst I like what Ryan's done since he's come in, and you know he's he's galvanised the fan base and all that sort of stuff, he might behind the scenes kick up a bit of a fuss if he doesn't get his way. But is that going to be enough to influence the way that the club runs? I doubt it. I think every manager in the league's the top goal scorer, you know, whether he rates them or not, and aware it's for a you know a large sum of money, they're going to be a bit. You know, not very happy if they don't get the players, you know, a bit of money to spend too, because obviously it's, you know, it's their, you know, jobs that are on the line if success isn't replicated or achieved normally, isn't it? 
your top goal scorer is bound to you know scupper any chance of that. But like you said, I don't think any manager would walk out. And Fuller as well, he's a, a young manager who probably wants to progress as much as he can. And I don't think he's done enough in his time with us to where like Alex did. We've probably got offers coming in from him from bigger budgeted clubs, you know, West Brom, Stoke, or all linked with him while he was with us. And I think if even Alex Neal had walked out, he'd have been able to walk out into a better job. Whereas I don't think Lowe's got that option under him. So I think whatever no, uh, whatever Lowe's given, he's going to have to sort of suck up and take, really. However, he'll dress it up in the media. Yeah, I mean, he was only saying a couple of weeks ago that oh, he, he's been promised his four players and these are the four players to get. And we've still got two of those players still to get. And a lot of the talk out of the club has been it's it's one in, one out at the minute. So, yeah, he's, he's going to be frustrated, isn't he? If that has check. changed, though, hasn't it? Quite a few times it's gone from, yeah, it's one in, one out, to no, it's not, to yeah, it is, to... Yeah. Well, if there's someone there, I can... I can go and get him, excuse me. Um so yeah, it's it's a massive two two and a bit weeks for the club. Um and the aspirations that we have for this season because there's been no secret made as a you know, the target is the playoffs and anything below that is a failure. You know, we've set our stall out, haven't we? So you know, let's it'd be nice, wouldn't it, to see that we are gonna go out and back a manager and maybe go out and Spend a few million on a couple of players if Emil goes, or if someone else goes, and we get, you know, a bit of cash in. But I think the the one concern that I have, and I think we've touched on this in the past, um, and I know we've spoken about it a lot between us in in the group chat and um, various other places, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of sort of like future proofing going on. Emil goes, and, and who are your saleable assets then? Ali McCann, Ben Whiteman, Freddie Woodman. That's about it, really, if we're being honest. Maybe Alan Brown. I'd, yeah, that's about it in terms of players that you could maybe look at demanding a million pound plus for. The Yeah, it just concerns me. And again, we've got a summer coming up where there's going to be another six to ten players or so out of contract. We've got a few loans in already. We'll probably get a, a one or two more loans in. You know, if we go out and sign maybe another three players, then one or two of them might be a loan and one permanent. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of building for the future going on at the moment, which is a, a concern. No squad building. Yeah. And they say every player has his price. Well, that's fine, but you, you've got to replace those players, haven't you? Or else, you you know, every player's got his price. You end up selling them all, and then you're stuck with a lot of loan players or players with no, um, you know, resaleable value who mean nothing to you as a club. So it is very strange. I understand the point of us, you know, the short-term element is, well, let's go and give the playoffs a good go. Well, for me, if that's the strategy, then you keep Reese and you add to it. Um, you don't sell Reese and then um, replace him potentially with players that are, are going to require um, either getting used to the league or, you know, in a similar situation that Reese was at the time where it takes him a while to get running, to, to get up and running. So it's a bit of a risk, but, you know, we'll have to see what happens, won't we? Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, the players that are. You know, our class to squad building, our younger players, you often have to fight off a lot of competition for. You've got to often stump up the money for because, you know, when players have got potential sell-on fee, that's when, you know, the, uh, the extra money is often charged. So we've got to, if you do sell Reese, I think realistically, to show any sort of ambition, you've got to be spending, for me at least, 60% of that, would you say? You're selling for 10 million, you've got to spend at least six, maybe a couple of strikers and a right wing back or something like that. I think it's got to be done. And, you know, I don't want to see Reese sold, but you know, if you do sell Reese, then it's, there's got to be a massive emphasis on bringing players for the future, signing similar to the Ali McCann one, signing similar to what Reese was when we brought him in two years ago. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk of saying, oh, well, people criticised us for not going down the the Brentford model in inverted commas. Um, well, that's, that's fine. It doesn't. The Brentford model doesn't mean selling your best players and not replacing them. So it, you've still got to go ahead and and, and do that side of it as well, which I think we've touched on. I don't think we're all 
as confident as other people on that. But like I said before, if it does happen, I'm happy to hold my hands up and say fair play. Yeah. And, you know, people saying that we are going down the Brentford model now. If that is the case, then, you know, we will be sat here on deadline day or the day after when we're recording and we've got quality back in to replace the quality that we've lost. But, yeah. I'm, um, what's the word? Um, what's the word? What's the phrase? Not sitting on the fence. I'm, um, reserving, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm reserving judgment for now. Um, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. But in terms of upcoming games, boys, it's obviously another week of midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend. And the weekend game is Watford at home. Um, is it getting to the point, I know it's only two home games in, is it getting to the point now where it feels like we need a home win? We need a, a, a th- three points at Deepdale. That's a brownie just off air before, I think. If you beat Rotherham and you're on eight points from four, I know they often say two points against promotion from four, you can go into Watford game, which we'll know that will be our toughest test yet. It's sort of a free hit. You've almost got the points in the bank, but suddenly you don't win on Saturday, you're still craving that home goal, you're still craving that home win. It suddenly has a lot more pressure on it, I think. And I think Watford will be weaker than what they were at the start of the season. I think, obviously, they've already lost uh, Dennis and it looks like they're losing Pedro and Sarr as well before Saturday. So it could be a good time to play them if they haven't replaced them players yet. But like I say, it just adds a lot of pressure onto Saturday now and the sooner you get that home win, the better really. Yeah, I do think we've got to bear in mind the quality of the opposition as well. You know, if you look at the game in isolation and you end up getting a draw, you'd probably be happy with it after. But like you say, Sam, I think if we got the win last night, you'd probably look at it a little bit differently. Um, and yeah, I, I think there are lots of positives to be about. I know it kind of touched on different things, but there's no reason why we can't go out there and, and play like we did last night and get the win. Um, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it might benefit us a bit as well. Obviously, Watford, I think there'll be a bit more pressure on them internally to win. And obviously, they might throw a bit more bodies forward. I think Hull and Rotherham have set up very much to, uh, you know, take a point of sat in. And obviously, we've not had Alvaro available. But because of some scuppers, I think Brady and Potts are struggling to break down teams in the low block and get behind them. But I think Watford, I'll expect them to come. I'll expect them to have a bit more of an attacking approach to the game. And hopefully, you know, that'll benefit us as well. We'll be able to. You know, get a bit of space in the final third, and hopefully, you know, get the three points. Even if nice they do get... sell, sorry, Brownie, go on. Sorry, mate. I was going to say it'd be nice to get it'd be quite a good game for Fernandez, really, to get in behind or get to the byline rather than Brady, and a good game for Reese as well to to get in behind. Because um, we don't we don't have a lot of pace still in the team, which is a little bit concerning. Like there were times against Luton where we were breaking away and didn't really have that required pace in order to get up the pitch. Um, so it'd be a nice game to play, um, you know, some of our mo- more mobile players, certainly. If if they do lose Jao Pedro and Ismail Assar before Saturday, do you still expect them to come and be perhaps as attacking and uh, forward-thinking as they might have been had they not lost those two? I don't see why it changed the way you play. Um, we've got Davis in, haven't they? Um, who they signed? Um, who I like. He's the battering ram, but he's um, pretty much striker we tried to sign a few years ago, isn't he? Um, who can do the business? So I don't think it had changed them too much. I mean, obviously it's going to impact them because of quality players, but I can't see it them changing a game plan. Um, you know, to, to do it. Well, yeah, they're yet to lose as well this season. They've won both the home games 1-0 and drawn both their away games 1-1. Um, obviously, we're yet to lose and it's um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. They're the type of team, aren't they, that in the past we've sort of tended to up our game against, but it's going to be interesting to see how we approach it, you know, is it maybe going to be a bit more of a pragmatic approach like when we went to Luton on Saturday or there's been this talk, hasn't there, of making Deepdale a fortress? Are we going to sort of 
put our stamp on the game and play our own way, regardless of how Watford are going to come and play and maybe force them to become a little bit more defensive. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how how it's going to pan out. Do you think we will try and sort of play our own way or do you think it'll be a little bit more of a pragmatic approach? Do you think it'll be a bit both? I think he'll stick with that box shape to try and nullify their midfield. He might well opt for... It's a type of game, probably more so than yesterday, where you might well want the lads in the midfield because you know what, if they're going to come with that quality, they've got a lot of Premier League players as such in the middle and you might well opt for that box, you know, and try and stifle them and probably get Pirate running at their defence. But I think we've got every chance of beating them. I mean, like I say before, it's a good time to play him when you've lost, you know, them three players. I think Ollie said he, that front three was probably had three of the best five players in the Championship. So it's obviously... Very formidable going forward. So if you can avoid playing them players, then fantastic. And I think, I mean, look, we've we've drawn two at home. We've battered two teams at home. And I think I saw on Twitter yesterday, I can't remember who said it or where I saw it, but I said we're probably one goal away from just murdering a team. So I'm not saying we're going to go and murder Watford on Saturday, but I think, you know, if you can find that clinical edge, we can create the chances and, you know, the defensive, you know, shown so far, they can keep the ball out the back of the net. And I think obviously that'll be the biggest test for him coming on Saturday. But you know, why not? I think you know, we've got the players to do so. I think as long as we have a meal and parrot, we've got every chance of having the been able to find the back of the net. So yeah, fingers crossed. I think the games are getting a little bit more difficult now as well, aren't they? You know, you've got you've got Watford, Cardiff, Cov, Coventry, um, Bristol uh, City, Brum, Bristol City, and then Burnley. Yeah, so Burnley, up to, yeah. I mean, even after Burnley in uh, in the middle of September. Doesn't really get much easier because the three immediate, four immediately after that, uh, Sheffield United, Sunderland, West Brom, Norwich. So we are we are properly entering like that stage of the season that I think it's probably still a bit too early to say it's make or break. But you know, the closer you get when you're in October and you're playing Norwich at the start of the month, and then in inside three four weeks you you're looking at a month's break for the World Cup with these games that we've not won you're looking at those games and you're not there's nothing jumping out at you is there that you're thinking yeah they're winnable and I know football isn't played on paper cliche alert Ollie will hate that um, but you know you could be at a point where and fucking hell this sounds like super negative doesn't it <laughs> even like how positive a start to the season we've made yeah. given we haven't won at home yet but you, you are risking entering a part of the season there where you've not got many points on the board and you've got a, you've got a month's break. Well, I think that's why, despite Lowe saying it was the best Preston North End performance of like ever last night, I think I think he will, and he's obviously trying to keep people positive because it was a good performance. I'm not uh, belittling that at all. Um you will still be disappointed about that because of the games coming up, and especially the one on Saturday because it kind of, it changes it a little bit. I know we're early in the season, but like you say, Jay, if you're ticking off those games and you're not getting the wins, you're looking back at games like the Rotherham, Wigan, and Hull and thinking, "I wish we picked up points there." So um, it's it's an important part of the season, really, considering where we want to get to. The early part of the season is about getting as much points as possible, and um, you don't want to don't want it to impact the second part of the season by just picking up draws here and there. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get that first win, and then we're we're on track. Then, aren't we? I think Ollie said it in the chat yesterday. I think sometimes people get under the illusion that, and I agree with this. I think people get under the illusion that even though you don't look at the table till 20, 10 or twelve games, um, points you can pick up in the first four or five are just as important as. You know, the last four or five in the running, as they say, which is all glorified at the end of the day. Good as the performances have been, I thoroughly expect Wigan to be down there. I expect Hull to be down there. And I expect uh, Rotherham to definitely be down there. So I think, you know, I really hope we're not looking back at the end of the season thinking we've missed out on the playoffs by four or five points. Because you look at these, you know, three of these first four games as ones where we really could have probably picked up a win or, a win or two, which is obviously, you know, massive in the grand scheme of things. Last one, last bit. Um, what are your predictions for Saturday? I'm going to go with a 1-1. I think I'll win 2-1. I'll say 1-0 to North End. At least it's positive. Not, it's positive, but it's not three wins. Last time it was three wins, or four wins, because I think Jimmy appeared, didn't he, out of nowhere. Um, yeah. 
we we drew again at home. So, yeah, fingers crossed. I, I mean, would you be happy with a draw? Would you take a draw? Yeah, as an isolated game, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Yeah. It just, it. I think when you look at the games played so far, if we do draw it, it it's a, not an ideal result, but hey-ho. We'll see what happens on Saturday and, and what we're saying on Sunday when we're back. But yeah, boys, another home game and another goalless draw. Um, we've been there before, haven't we? Yeah, I think we we should be higher up the table. We should be sitting on more points. But it is what it is. We are where we are. Let's just hope that if we do lose a meal, that we go out and replace him and bring in the required quality to continue to push for the for the target this season which is is the playoffs um, yeah boys thanks very much for your time as always much appreciated pleasure appreciate